This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Joris Peels. I'm the editor in chief of 3dprint.com, and I'm here today together with Maxwell Vogue, a 3 doodler, and we're going to talk to you about lots and lots of 3D printing stuff. And today, the subject we've chosen is uh, 3D printing and medicine. So, what we're not going to talk about is bioprinting. So, bioprinting organs, directly or indirectly, tissue, vascularization, all that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about in a separate podcast. We think that's a super interesting topic and we want to kind of split it out a little bit. So, what we're going to be talking about today is all the other applications that you see for 3D printing and medicine, all the other types of uh, uh, uses that we're seeing emerging in hospitals and through doctors, through biomechanical engineers and, and that kind of thing. So, welcome to the show, Max. Well, thanks for having me as always, Charles. Uh, good man. Uh, so, so what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts just generally about uh, you know what we're seeing in three D printing and, and medicine? I think uh, we're seeing a lot of very useful things starting to come into the field. Uh, I think the easiest one that everyone usually points to is prosthetics, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which I think is a great application since it helps to reduce the overall cost of prosthetics. And given, especially for the children's market in prosthetics, Mm -hmm. where they constantly need replacements to go along with their growing bodies, I think that's one of the best applications that I've seen on the exterior side of things, Mm -hmm. on the outside of the body. Um, But obviously, there's quite a lot that's going on. I mean, it's it's a very burgeoning industry within the 3D print industry and has massive applications overall. I think the most obvious thing for everyone is the prosthetics thing. I mean, because of Enable, of course, because mm-hmm. uh, it's such a great example. Uh, it's also, you know, the media have also ran with that as well. Uh, so, so, so it's also from from some of the outside of the industry. It's probably also, you know, what they know us for. If they think about this, it's either going to be, you know, other stuff or it's going to be you know, this prosthetics thing. And strangely, I knew like way back before, like Enable, I knew about the, you know, people doing. Uh, kind of high-end industrial uh, prosthetics and surgical guides and things like that. But I could have never have anticipated like the desktop 3D printing prosthetics and, and kind of braces and things like that. I, I just I, That just did not compute for me at the time. What's well, the customization that makes it truly useful, the ability to really focus on an individual when you're making that prosthetic as opposed to mass-producing a set of like prosthetics, like limbs and things like that? Yeah. Well, partially, yes, but partially, I mean, uh, so th- there's the two different things. Like the aesthetic customization of these enabled things is interesting because you can it's it's you can turn a, a prosthetic from it's a bug, it's it's not a bug, it's a feature, you know? You can right. make it like Iron Man's hand or you can make it like a particular uh, shade of color to make it interesting. And that reduces the stigma of what they were trying to do before is make a hand that, you know, was plastic or whatever and looked really horrible and get the kid teased. Uh, so I think that you know that is is enabled by 3D printing. The actual customization of these things is a little bit less than I think than uh, in, in terms of the sizing, is a little bit less than people might think. Uh, it's much more about you know people being able to create this kind of thing in the first place, uh, you know, to have the thing. It doesn't really need to measure up completely. Uh, it does improve it a little bit, and there's also a lot of manual labor involved. Um, so the additional thing is just like the fact that. You know, somebody who's just an enthusiast somewhere in the world can now make a prosthetic, right? So this is the the, the idea of three D printing itself. You know? Yeah, completely. I mean, uh, it's it's quite expensive, obviously, but also I think there are challenges still. For example, the the join point to the flesh or to the mm-hmm. point of the arm that's missing is still difficult for a lot of people because they are using these standardized kind of files in order to make the prosthetics. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can customize them and that's great, um, but it's still difficult to like scan that section and then integrate it so that it's a comfortable fit. Because uh, mm-hmm. I've definitely heard complaints that we've actually at 3Doodler done a couple of trials where we're able to make just the join point so that it mm-hmm. fits more comfortably and perfectly because mm-hmm. of uh, the ability to just kind of doodle in that mm-hmm. area. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great one. I mean, I'm curious as to what you think are the the implantable things and whether or not that's come, is it ready for mainstream or is it still 
What do you mean, like, orthopedics, like, in the body? Yeah, I mean, in the body. Not orthopedics as much as, like, you know, if it's, like, a valve strengthener or something of that nature or maybe a bone brace or, uh, I mean, obviously, the the one that I know is in lots of usage is uh, dental implants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that one I see. That's an easy one. Uh, I'd like to stick to the braces thing a little bit real quick first. Yeah. Uh, if, if we could just like talk about that a little bit. I mean, because I think, so one is, uh, enables the shining example, bringing this to kids and as you said, and also developing countries. I think one of the things that enable and all these things do is they make a place where you wouldn't be able to manufacture this into a place where you can. Having said that, it's 3D printing, I think, hasn't permeated like the hospital, you know? Right. Uh, so whereas like somebody somewhere in, in the boondocks could get a, a brace of some kind printed, I can't currently go to my local hospital and do that. No. <laughs> I mean, also at the same time, they have a whole industry set up to make the traditional prosthetics, which require just as much customization in a lot of ways. I, it's the democratization that's from the brace stuff or the, from the prosthetics that's really fascinating and the ability that, as you say, a boondocks person can do it. But no, I haven't seen a lot of hospitals taking advantage of this uh, technology to do it. I wonder if there's a stigma on their part where they believe that they're making higher quality and better prosthetics um, without the 3D printer or if that they're fearful of losing their jobs. I I think to me, I've talked to a bunch of doctors. What we are seeing as a trend is that there are individual doctors that are setting up fab labs inside hospitals, which I think is a very interesting concept. Uh, And for the regulatory side, the only way they can kind of get in is through doing medical models. So that's another thing that people maybe, you know, it's not as as exciting an example of giving a five-year-old kid the ability to hold stuff again. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about taking a CT or MRI scan uh, and then converting that DICOM file into a, a 3D printed object. Uh, either you can make it, like, for example, with, like, a, a multi-material system, like a, like a Stratasys uh, 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 object system, you know, to give all the nice color and all this kind of stuff. Or you could do it really cheaply and simply on an FDM system. And then the idea is that then the surgeons or the surgical team can use this to plan the surgery. And that is kind of like there's a regulatory kind of area that they can explore there, right? Right. And that gives them the space to do this. And now we're seeing that, well, the FDA has been now making it, uh, you can get your money back from insurers and things like that. You know, we have, we've been seeing that now you can claim it from Medicare in the States and stuff like that. And it's kind of like that kind of administrative stuff that's kind of holding it back, I think. Well, yeah, because you need class one, class two certification, FDA approval on this stuff. And the 3D printers are actually poor in that sense because... You don't get a 3D printer FDA approved. You have to get the object approved, but you're printing it, and it's not always going to be exactly the same, which is what the FDA is looking for, right? They're looking for consistency as well. And when we're handing out models, different printers perform differently, and as a result, you're going to have difficulty passing that. So do you pass a printer and then the files, and then you have to go through that every time, and then if you make an improvement, it's like now you have to go back through the regulatory mess of getting it approved. So, that, but it's, it's it's like literally that kind of stuff. I mean, it's like the, I think there's enterprising uh, doctors and uh, hospital administrators out there wanting to make this happen in the hospital. Uh, but it does, yeah. It seems I don't know what you said before that it was like a stigma. Yeah, maybe they do consider us a bit like kind of improvised, and I guess they don't really like to improvise. Right, because it's like outside of the normal, like for one, what they've been educated in and stuff like that. So I wonder if it's also a timing issue of we need more younger doctors entering the system with 3D printing in mind for these purposes uh, yeah. before they're applied on, on this kind of, on a larger scale. And what I also thought was actually really interesting is that also uh, there was a couple of uh, additive manufacturing strategies, the, the medical event in, in Boston this year. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I met with a couple of guys who were all engineers working in hospitals to kind of help the doctors to guide them towards uh, 3D printed parts. So it's kind of like your fab lab manager with an engineering background who's, who knows CAD, who knows uh, uh, modeling and 3D printing, and he's kind of like a facilitator. So that meant that, that they had to hire an individual to do that. You know, that It wasn't just like some doctor doing this in like the moonlighting. You know, it was just somebody, some person who's actually going to translate this for the hospital, you know? Well, that, that helped to indicate then the other source of the problem is that there aren't enough people who have enough knowledge going into that field yet. Yeah, or 3D printing is too difficult, right? Software. It always comes back to software. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. In a lot of senses, it does, I think. I think it's too difficult. 
too hard. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But and then and then so so now people are looking at medical models in the hospital. I think I think it's just because they're interested in the technology, and you know they want to start somewhere, right? But right. we're already seeing some moves like uh, you know there's a U.S. Veterans Hospital that has a has a, a Arcan printer. Uh, there's a really large extremities hospital, knee, uh, hip surgery hospital that's going to have its own metal 3D printing. They're going to be making medical devices on the location, right? So partner, partnering with the producer of the medical devices, the company that makes the, the, the metal 3D printers, and they're going to like produce them on site. That's cool. And then you can customize uh, it perfectly for that individual. Uh, I talked to the guy. I'm not going to name check him. I'm, I'm talked to. I talked to one of the guys, and there was a big discussion. I'm not going to name check him because I don't know if he wants this on the record or not. But there's a big discussion in a lot of these these medical device people, you know, until what extent personalized orthopedic implants make sense or not. Uh, so, so we've always been kind of like taught that you know the personalized medicine is great and personalized orthopedics are awesome. And and the the, the examples that get cited a lot are like the the faster operations because it seems to me. Make logical sense as well, right? You get a, a, a customized implant, so the, the the orthopedic surgeon has less time trying to make that implant fit to your body. Let's say it's less time actually pulling and pushing uh, on your your bones and stuff to get everything to fit. That seems to make sense. It's intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's less blood loss. The operation's quicker. So then also all kind of semi logically we infer that then the, the recovery time's quicker. And then hey, it should be cheaper for everyone. And that's and the thing is, there are, I've read a bunch of studies that kind of seem to prove this. But they're typically all sponsored by the medical device manufacturers, right? So, <laughs> right. so like, it's either they keep finding the right answers, or, or they keep finding the right answers, right? So, you know, I'm 100% sure that the customization is the, tata- uh, the titanium cages or the textures, right, to increase like uh, bone adhesion uh, or bone growth, uh, that kind of thing, right? That to me seems like it's a really uh, open and shut, a really fantastic case. To me, the fact that you can develop uh, an orthopedic uh, device or come to a hip cup or something like that that costs like a factor six and eight times less than the, the, the conventionally manufactured one, that is also a business case that is like incredible for me. You know? So that you know, I think is very solid. What remains to be seen is you know, if that customization, if that having different sizes or everyone having their unique size is A, possible from a regulatory standpoint, and also B, if it's actually desirable, if it actually does lead to better outcome. So yeah, study is required. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, there are a lot of things. I mean, I, I just think I think it's interesting because we almost always like personalized medicine sounds wonderful. That's totally what I want from my medicine. You know, I want exactly what I want. But, but a lot of the stuff, the data isn't really there yet. Right? I mean, uh, and then it sounds yeah, just because it sounds intuitive and logical doesn't mean it's true. Right, and and obviously like a lot of research because you never know what other factors that might be being missed, you know, is the lifetime of a hip replacement that is metal 3D printed the same as an industrially made one? It Theoretically, it should be, but one never knows until one actually puts it in the body and then waits uh, 20 years, because weird things can happen, right, that, that we're just not aware of. But that's why we have the FDA, that's why we have studies, that's why we have to do it. The question is, is it, I mean, it's happening, I guess, is the the problem is, as always, that these things take time to actually see the effects. Yeah, I, but we're thinking. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Go. Uh, no, no, no I don't talk too much anyway. You go. <laughs> well, I was also wondering. I mean, talking about personalized medicine in general, there's also obviously this new push to do 3D printing pills, where you mm-hmm. specify very specific quantities for people to yeah. help reduce reactions and stuff like that, and then. Also, you can have layer encapsulation to allow time release on different scales uh, with different medications so that they don't, like you're taking one pill, but they're not interacting with each other because they're dissolving at different rates. I love this so much as a concept. I've done some consulting work on, on trying to implement, like changing the geometry of, of the, let's say the payload element and then changing the geometry uh, of, of the delivery device and everything like that. And I think, I think that's a super exciting area i think uh and imagine just with the same dose of whatever penicillin we could get without really changing anything fundamentally about that we can get very different effects of very different people yeah and 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 it just seems like a really comparatively easy way to get to much better outcomes and i'm 
super excited about that. Just just that in any kind of you know drug released kind of well, drug release stents and all these kind of things like from an approval standpoint are of course super super complicated. Uh, you know because you have to get approval of the drugs and the device and everything around it. Uh, but that also, like to me, drug release stents and, and drug release medicines, you know, th- that are customized for one individual, one treatment, one weight class of person, whatever. That just really makes. Yeah, I've always kind of looked at skepticism at the the, the package, saying that I should either take one pill or two. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, wait, wait. I, I know that uh, I, if I look at people, there's like huge different sizes of people. Let's just take the sizes, right? Just like there's really tiny people and there's gigantic people, you know. And uh, there's no way that that linebacker, let's say, takes two, whereas then somebody else is like uh, 45 kilos or something takes also two pills. You know what I mean? It just only that, to me, has always made me very skeptical about, about just, just that there's so few sizes in pills. I mean, if we future gaze, we could conceive of a situation where you step on some sort of scanning platform in the morning, similar to like stepping on a scale, but maybe it's doing a bit more. And then you have this kind of 3D printing pill device where you mm-hmm. load it with your medications and then it determines what your that day's dosage should be within, obviously, you know, yeah. some range um, based uh-huh. off of what your current state of your body is at this current time. Or maybe yeah. even a blood test to determine how much of the chemical is still in your body for like antidepressants or something of that nature. And then that way you can have more stability with some of these uh, some of these chemicals that we're taking, some of these medicines. Yeah, I love I love that. I think that's an awesome idea as well. I mean, I think, I think just the idea of, of, of uh, and also, but it could also work then with other data and stuff. Like you walked five kilometers yesterday, you usually only walk two kilometers, so we're going to give you more painkiller or something like that. Right, know? yeah. Or, exactly. You're, you um, ate bacon for breakfast, therefore you need yeah. more of your statin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love this idea of taking, like, completing the data picture. It's also a bit very Silicon Valley of us to to, to like this kind of thing. Um, Great, let's uh, build it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's build it. And but but so so I think I think this making a medicine a part of life and customizing it using 3D printing is really exciting. And then on top of that, just the you know I change I have the same dose and I just change the shape of it and it gets absorbed quickly or in the, quicker into the bloodstream. That's that to me is like super exciting as well. I think there's that that would also mean that there would be a lot of stuff you could do with medicine that's already been generic or medicine that's already been invented or medicine that's effective, you could make it a little bit more effective. Which, of course, the drug companies aren't really incentivized to do this, but it could be a really, really exciting path forward to take something uh, and, and improve it just that ever, that, that optimize it. I mean, especially with the generics, like uh, the ability to improve their overall performance. I think the companies would still be making their money by producing the raw material. It's just the, the packaging that it would change, in a sense. So I, I think, that if anything, they might be incentivized. But I see what you're saying, that they're... They're not necessarily seeing a profit uh, result, but I'm sure they could figure a way. <laughs> oh, but you could like, yeah, but you could patent like the new double diamond shape, right? Uh, you know, with aspirin, whatever, you know, and you could upsell that as a fact, of, 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 and it, and it could, you know, maybe be used for different things and stuff. So I think there's a, there's a, there's potential for that. They like to, you know, they find an island, protect it, and milk it, you know. So 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 for for, for a drug company's perspective, I, I would think that any kind of way to squeeze new patents into there would be the yeah. kind of thing they're really excited. Apart from, of course, treating patients. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see, I think it's fascinating, the stuff, especially that you could combine, like, a fast dose with a slow dose, so to speak, where you can, and then extend the lifetime of the medicine without changing anything, like you're saying with an aspirin. So instead of taking two aspirin, you just take this one double diamond, half diamond, and mm-hmm. half square um, mm-hmm. pill. And so the diamond gets absorbed immediately, so it's instant relief, but then... The second half of it gets absorbed slowly, so it's all day relief. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. No, but I love that kind of stuff. I mean, I think I think that's going to be really, really exciting. And that also like brings us to the point where I think you know, if we're looking at the enable thing and we're looking at these kind of customization things, there is this kind of like biohacking DIY medicine thing, which is also a potential frontier as well, which is like very exciting, but also very terrifying. Sure, there are always negative applications for all of the stuff. And definitely, there are some applications that could not be desirable. What are you? What are your like biggest guy, fears on the biohacking? Yeah. Well, I, I, so on the one hand, I mean, the, okay, the big excite, excitement bit first. There's people making glucose monitors, insulin pumps, and things, 
and these devices, uh, they're making them themselves, right? Uh, using in part three D printing, but most of it is just like other existing technology to yeah. make a, 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 a monitors or insulin pumps that are just like um, completely out of the system, completely not in any way, shape, or form regulated. But apparently, for them, they work better, and they then, you know, manage to combine. It. I think most of the work that's being done is, is with uh, diabetes and stuff. Because uh, these patient groups have found each other. So the patient group find itself, thinks that they need a better device that's not available on the market for whatever reason, and then they then hack it together. Uh, now, this to me is, is, is very exciting because it, you know, it's kind of like you know, this DIY medicine thing. It's like making it themselves, right? Another example uh, is, is something that's been done a couple of times already uh, where you take an engineer and you combine the engineer with a person who's like paraplegic or something like that. Uh, and and that person then you design tools for them, right? Braces, something for them to help them move their wheelchair and stuff like that. That's that's I mean the, the gold standard example that this could be amazing, you know? That that you can have a medical device that's that's made that's personalized for that person to play their game, right? If they really like to play on the Nintendo Switch or something, right? Right. right. I love that. And then you get the insulin. A better insulin pump sounds like a good idea, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, until it goes wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And then once it goes wrong, who's responsible? Is yeah, it the no. uh, just yeah. from I mean, being an American, we always think yeah. about who we're gonna sue. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you sue the designer that produced the file? Do you sue the three D yeah. print manufacturer because it didn't print right? Or do you sue yourself because you didn't put it together correctly? I've actually looked into that and uh, it depends where you are. Right? In the but world you are gonna have yeah, yeah, exactly. It depends on where everyone is. So that that's uh, and also if it's open source or not, uh, right? And, and how it was shared and under what conditions? Or if you paid you know? money for it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that kind of thing. So on the one hand, like the grosso mode of like the, the the really dirty answer, this is like if you give it away for free and share it with everyone, it's all open source and whatever, and you call yourself uh, Tom uh, and you put as your location Ulaanbaatar, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, there's there's, there's going to be very little blowback on that person, right? Uh, on the other hand, if you were to you know have a registered name and address in a company and and say and charge money for it in the U.S. or something, then then you're going to have some very very serious uh, issues. Um, what if you're a university and you're handing yeah, it out? So, yeah. Like that's where I see the <laughs> you know, like you're trying to do public good. You're not you know probably yeah. not charging for it, or maybe you're charging enough to like cover the cost of having developed it or something of that nature. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, let's say $5 or whatever. Um, yeah. And you say in your whole thing, like, you know, use at your own risk. This is not recommended for this use or something yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> uh, I have no idea. I really don't know. I have no idea what would happen in that case. So on the one hand, I mean, I, I could really see that the, the, the instead of assistive aids, assistive medical uh, things, braces, external things, you know, one particular person, like there was this Hydra example. There's one guy who had a, a limb loss kind of issue and he wanted to fly aircraft, right? Mm -hmm. There's never going to be a mainstream medical solution for this guy, right? Uh, you know, there, there has to be a, a, a one person fits one solution, and there never, there's never going to be the approval and the hurdles, and uh, you know, you're not going to pay ten million dollars for Bob to be able to fly with a disability, you know? Right. In that particular Cessna, you know. As opposed to a different mobile aircraft. Um, on the one hand, you know, and that kind of one-on-one -on -one help, and uh, imagining that the patient is fully cognizant and fully a participant, or maybe even initiating this kind of DIY medicine stuff. Awesome, right? Right. Uh, you're 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 doing it for you, right? You're in a wheelchair and you want to play your Nintendo Switch. I, I want you to solve this, right? Uh, but then uh, if it becomes more of a community online and they're kind of selling these things and and, and exchanging them and stuff, then it starts to get really scary for, for, for me. Yeah, and it gets scary quickly, too, um, as that develops, because there's just no regulation going on there. Um, yeah. And on one hand, I know people are like, oh, we don't need it. Uh, but regulation does help to protect people and yeah. it can prevent a lot of potential deaths. Um, and, and when we're talking about life and death, is when it really comes into a different realm. When we're talking about making a more accessible controller for an Xbox or something like that, or a ramp, 
then you know that's one thing. But when we're talking about things that can actually potentially cause death, like a glucose meter or something like that, where if it misreads or if it was accidentally misprogrammed because it was just done by someone and then mm -hmm. submitted on an Arduino, then it raises a whole different realm of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, how uh, do you regulate also, that? <laughs> I have no idea. You just ban it. Yeah. Well, but which, which is also bad because like stuff like this can result in great new discoveries and alternative ways of, of accomplishing things that weren't thought of previously, but then it needs to be taken into like an industry side of things and actually tested and developed and moved forwards for mass production. If it's a device that can be mass produced rather than what you're suggesting with, with Bob and his Cessna uh, yeah. needing a one-off solution. Uh, and I'm also worried about like, you know, how everyone's into supplements and, and I don't know, uh, the flavor of the month now is like cannabis oil and CBD inhaling stuff and yeah. all this stuff. And I was really worried that people kind of mix our kind of sciencey kind of goodwill with like some kind of magical whatever tincture slash uh, uh, concentrate of eucalyptus leaf or whatever, and then, and then end up with some, some kind of like other kind of like inhaler of some kind, you know, kind of making these kind of pseudo-medical devices as well. Obviously, like vaporizers and things like that, are, they are yeah. giving you a chemical, which is, uh, for lack, it's not medicine, I wouldn't say, but it's a drug. It's mm -hmm. uh, a way of transporting a drug. And yeah, by tinkering and making your own and, like we don't fully know what CBD does to the human body yet, and yet I can so, go down the, to the street right now and get a cup of coffee with a shot of CBD in it, which just seems crazy to me on some level. Yeah, uh, I know. Compare that to like a couple of years ago as well, where it was like completely banned, and now it's like it's the nectar of the gods. Yeah, I have it every day. Well, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's back to the U.S. Uh, is craziness and how we formulate our laws sometimes. So it's THC that's actually banned yeah. and is illegal. CBD yeah. wasn't thought of, so no one bothered to like deal with it. And so what people have done is they've taken hemp, which is legal yeah. to grow because the THC yeah. content is below a certain level. Then they've engineered the hemp to produce yeah. CBD as its main output rather than the THC. And that's how they're harvesting it. And that's they're therefore getting around the law as a result. Um, because it's just something that no one thought of at the time when they made the laws. Um, not that it's like, this is the worst substance on the face of the planet. You know, cigarettes are a lot worse than CBD oil, but it's still something that we should be a little more cautious about of just throwing it into our bodies so willy-nilly. But that's also the thing. I mean, I think if you democratize any kind of technology, um, then you make it wide widely accessible and and that may that's the most wonderful thing and it's also very frightening yeah you we talked about that yeah. yeah exactly we talked about the last episode with guns it's it's essentially this is kind of a similar discussion i think you know between yeah. responsibility uh between responsibility and and, and kind of like uh, the, the potential right i mean there's total like even with what we're talking about making customized uh, drugs with 3d printer delivery systems like if someone discovers a way of making a heroin pill through this process is that you know all of a sudden uh, of course, you know, cart yeah. cartels will be buying up 3d printers and like 3d printing uh, the heroin pill or the fentanyl pill or something of that nature um the possibility exists i'm not saying like it, like that's going to happen but one doesn't know yeah. these are the pandora's boxes that we open every time that we go into this process oh, totally, totally. i totally agree i totally i think that's that's, that's totally what could happen i think so if we're, if we're looking at kind of what is going on. I mean, there's there's clearly, well, there's a frontier there. That's kind of like the DIY at home medicine thing, either in groups or collectively or, or inventing your own solutions, you know, either really benign or potentially really scary. Uh, we talked a little bit about fab labs and hospitals. I like to talk a little bit more about like, you know, the ability of 3D printing to really truly, you know, bring, for example, medical device or braces, or the latest technology to to like the developing world. Is that something you're really excited about, believe in, that kind of thing? Or? Oh, I totally believe in that. I think that you can easily, more easily today, actually do that in a third world country uh, than you could, say, in, in a developed country, just because the developed countries have all these regulatory systems and whatnot in place, whereas a third world country, it's more important to have a solution than to necessarily um, have it like fully regulated, just because it's such a cheaper solution that it makes it more accessible. 
and at least there's something there. Whereas it doesn't, there isn't a healthcare system necessarily in some countries that can help provide this. Whereas if you can, you know, for a thousand dollars basically set up a printer with enough material to help people in a war-torn zone to have prosthetics or something of that nature, I, I think it's absolutely something that we should be doing. Yeah, but, but, you know, and what would be the right way to stimulate that then? Charities, uh, NGOs, I mean, probably, I mean, you still have to bring in people who can then teach other people on one, how to use the software, two, how to create the prosthetics, build them, and so forth and so on. And I know there's YouTube and stuff like that. And so it's not a difficult hurdle, but uh, I think that you need to, you need to partner with like an NGO or something of that nature and, and almost, or set up an NGO um, to kind of go into those regions or work with someone that's already there, obviously, the, in the <laughs> medical field. I mean, Doctors Without Borders would be potentially someone to actually look at uh, working with yeah. for, the pur- for those purposes. And I think it'd be a great partnership if they were to start, um, you know, sending them out with little, little printers to deal with smaller issues. Um, uh-huh. that could significantly improve someone's life. You know, if you have to walk 14 miles to get water every uh-huh. day um, and you need a crutch, wouldn't a more customized crutch be a better solution? Or uh-huh. a, a, the handle being a specific way for that person? Who's a believer in handles, by the way? More customization on any kind of handle from doors to steering wheels to tennis rackets to, to everything. And I really love the idea of like, yeah, being able to extend uh, that kind of functionality to, to, to lots of people in the middle of nowhere as well. Yeah, yeah. and the ability but, to but, just print it. Yeah, but I, I do think it's interesting. We did an interview uh, I think last week or something with uh, Lars Brouwers, who's a, a doctor, uh, a Dutch doctor, and he went to Sierra Leone. And one of the points that he made is, well, first off, they had an intern that was at the hospital in Sierra Leone for a number of months. Which I think that kind of commitment is is I think very important. Also for the local guys, like oh they're serious about this. They're not just gonna like you know weave in like kind of like on vacation, and be like hey guys, yeah. you know. Right. Uh, so that that kind of. But what his point when one of the things he said in the interview was that he said that he thinks that they should be charged for these things. That that if you do print something or if you do give them a particular solution, that's a good idea to charge the local people so that it has value. Uh, oh yeah, I mean you should at least cover the cost of the production of the item on some level. Although, if you're impoverished, like what's, how much are you charging these people? Yeah, uh, I don't know. But the, 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 his point was that otherwise they won't really accept the. You know, you're kind of actually destroying the market for the local people who make prosthetics, for example, or you're destroying ah, the market. Ah, yeah. And then they're like, oh, we'll wait for the other dude, or something. you know, you're going to have like this market disruption kind of mechanism. Uh, and also, they'll value it more if they pay for it. So, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure if, it, if, if it, you know, if it's a token amount or if it's like a, a, a significant amount. But yeah, of course, if you're going to charge the guys, you know, 100 bucks or something that, that that would normally be like a several months' salary or something like that, that that's of course never going to to work. But I think it's an interesting thing to say that that automatically we kind of assume let's give it to them for free. You know? No, but so yeah, I, you do raise an interesting point. I wonder then if the solution is actually to rent the printers out to the people in that country that are already making prosthetics. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that you're not disrupting the market as much. You're just giving them better tools. Well, not giving, but you're working out some sort of economic system where they can have access to these better these better tools. Yeah, I think that, I think that would be very valuable, I think, to these guys. I mean, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I have an idea of a leasing model or something like that. Like, there's this phone ladies model. Right, where you give one person the phone, they then rent out the phone. It's been done also with batteries, with power, with solar, with lots of stuff, and they then sub rent it out, lease it out, essentially to to everyone else. And then you distribute that person, uh, that person's asset. Let's say, and something like that with 3D printers could be very exciting. I think. No, and it would help to reach the market faster as a result, because then people are motivated, because it's it's both a way of enriching themselves economically. And helping to spread the technology at the same time, which is the best way to make these things work, is to show people like, hey, you can make money off of this, improve your circumstances, but also improve the overall lifestyle of everyone around you. Because, and then apart from that, in the developing world, I mean, I think we're seeing, uh, 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 or the developed world, let's say, we're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing it happen 
we're seeing a lot of the developments being run by companies like Striker, uh, companies like uh, Lima Corporate. Uh, companies also like materialize. They make like uh, these companies make tens of thousands of orthopedic implants, which are cost competitive, as I said before, with, with, or significantly cheaper than the conventional manufactured ones. And also they make the surgical guides, which is rather the new thing where they make from, based on one MRI, just for you, they make a surgical guide that temporarily gets screwed into you, so the surgeon knows exactly where to cut. It's a lot of like a jig, right? Oh, that's cute. For, I haven't heard of this. No, okay. They make tens of thousands of them a year. So, so it's literally, it's like oral surgeon, knee people are doing it as well, uh, dental stuff. So it's literally, yeah, a p- customized MRI-based, CT-based uh, device. It's printed out. It uses a polymer. It's used by sintering SLS, um, mm-hmm. PA12, that kind of stuff. And it's temporarily put into your mouth. It's actually screwed in, right? And you don't ever, you know, Google surgical guides with say search off. It's not fun. Uh, and, and, and then the surgeon, let's say an oral surgeon, would know exactly where your veins are, the nerves, the, the beginning ending of the oh, tooth. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And then drills at the right places at the right angle. Because apparently, oh, and don't also, also never, never, ever <laughs> search stuff like oral surgery mistakes, errors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so one of the biggest problems there was that the guy would drill into your mouth in the wrong angle. And then uh, it hit a and nerve then, or something of that nature. Yeah, and either hit a nerve or come out the other side. I know, I know. I had to research this. I was like, I was super traumatized with this stuff. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so, so the idea to make everything go the right angle in you is actually really interesting. It's like it's literally like a jig for people, right? Um, so no, but it's, a, it's a custom a, jig. I think that's an amazing, yeah, yeah. yeah it's an amazing solution. I, I, we use jigs all the time in manufacturing, obviously, yeah. to ensure that parts are correct and that things are done correctly. It makes perfect sense to do something similar in medicine. Well, that's fascinating. I, I think it's a, a really good idea, obviously, especially yeah. it helps to maybe, you know, you, you aren't the greatest uh, oral surgeon. You'd like to believe you are. Or even the greatest oral surgeon can still make mistakes, but to have something like that to help a surgeon ensure that they're going to maximize, or sorry, yeah, reduce as much as possible the risk of causing damage is, that's a really great application. Of course, you need the MRI scanner. That's the only or downside. CT or, or, or CT, or, but you need, a, you need a large piece of equipment that's expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's okay if you're doing it on well in a developed country. It's a super right, good investment. Right, right, right. No, in a developed country, it's an amazing investment, and that's a very interesting uh, solution. So yeah, I think people jig sounds like a great yeah. idea. But that's happening more and more, and they're also even for cranial and stuff. And they're looking at also the devices around them, right? So it doesn't really make sense to 3D print the scalpel, at least. Uh, you know, there's no real case for it at the moment, but but uh, you know, there's certain surgical tools that people are thinking of trying to make, like customized ones or new mm-hmm. ones, or develop prototypes for new ones, just like we're seeing you know, all over the place. But also, there's like a whole category of things around. Like, think about like a kind of think about how your uh, your uh, polymer implant, for example, is packaged, right? And there's little plugs for it, little screws you have to put in the person. And they're doing stuff like color coding these and trying nice. to make sure that so the surgeon knows how to unpack it so he doesn't get the wrong screw in the wrong part of your skull. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's such a good idea, guys, that you're color coding them. Wonderful. Yeah. And I'm like, that's another thing I have to worry about without having to worry about it. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Peels. Good news, bad news. <laughs> And we left something inside as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's expensive. That's expensive. I, I have heard of, uh, speaking of handles and one, and surgery, I've heard of how a lot of doctors really want to see customized um, handles for some of the equipment. You know, if you're a, a four-foot doctor versus a six-foot doctor and your hand is a significantly different size, but right now, you know, all of the tools are just made for one-sized hand. And if you could do custom fitable, fit, fitting on handles for these tools or changing the amount of pressure required to like squeeze a trigger or something of that nature, um, then those are other ways of improving the overall comfort of the surgeon and therefore hopefully making them better surgeons. Yeah, I think it would be really exciting as well. I, I have no idea how that would work from like regulatory and stuff, how that if it would be difficult to do or not. I don't think it's difficult to do because you're just, you're altering the pre-existing handle, but I think, yeah, you're, but at least it's only a, like class one, class two, Kind of thing because it's not it's not being implanted 
I don't know. You're right. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't know how that would. But it would be exciting to get them to. I mean, we know like tooling, right? So custom tooling. I mean, I know like for example, in the really the the the, the gold standard like confusing, complicated stuff, uh, conjoined twins and stuff. They use a lot of like these medical models and models of like the vascular system to show how the hearts are interacting and stuff. But it would be interesting to see. You know, to what extent? I have heard of some cases where they're trying to develop like a custom tool for a certain application. But it would also be interesting to see if there's like, if it'd be, you know, possible first off, and if it would be allowed to make like something, you know, that, that would actually have a customized purpose just for a particular surgery or a particular case. Or to modify existing tools for temporary purposes so that one surgeon has easier time with it than another surgeon. Yeah, exactly. You know, because we are all a little bit different. We're all a little on snail for snowflakes, right? I mean, we do all. Have completely different systems. I could totally imagine that, 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 that somebody's hip would be much more difficult to get at than somebody else's, or something like that. I think that would be really exciting to me as well to do that kind of thing. Yeah. So apart from the surgical guides, which I think is a really exciting application, we're also seeing, you know, uh, and the hip implants. Of course, it's all titanium, or hopefully all titanium. Because, uh, some other materials that were being used that wasn't a good idea. So we're also seeing, like, you know, we're also seeing like customized uh, implants, usually polymers uh, for CMF cranio-maxillofacial and that's another term CMF is another term you should not Google with Google safe search off <laughs> uh, so this is like catastrophic injuries to the face whereby uh, it's either injury or it's maybe something that a person was born at and, and they're trying to let's say reconstruct the face through through putting it in or putting on top as well so there's an exterior uh, kind of cosmetic uh, solution and there's also a, a solution under the skin let's say where you're trying to actually like rebuild someone's face and right and, add some structure to it so yeah, the skin. Exactly. so these are like some of the results here are super dramatic dramatic uh, and like amazing actually and there's there's some of the worst yeah uh, there are some but I, have to, I have to horrific. imagine that that's safer than like a face transplant which I know they've done, <laughs> but uh, is complex, obviously, at the same time. But it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, it's, a, it's about the underlying structure underneath to, to, to then hopefully then get the person to grow skin on top of it, right? So that the CMF is being done as well for a while, just because that was all unique, right? Because we all have, you know, a little bit different faces. And these injuries are also different. Some eye socket, and some including not the eye socket and the chin, and God knows what else, right? So th this was all unique cases. And then also the barrier there to doing it was also quite low, as well, uh, because there was just no other solution. Uh, yeah. So so they were allowed to do this quite early in the uh, in the development of the three D printing and surgery. So I think the CMF thing is really exciting uh, to me as well. And then, uh, and also cranial. So, so now they're doing all sorts of cranium implants out of peak, uh, which is a polymer, which we both love, of course, and and uh, uh, PEC as well, which is a similar uh, peak material, PEAK <laughs> material, yep. and also titanium. So they're doing like cranial, like like custom cranial implants uh, as well. So I think that that's a, that's also a really really exciting area. And the the big thing where we're getting a lot of approvals now is any kind of like spinal cages and also just like any kind of finger whatever anything that moves on the body they're trying to get right. it to, to, to kind of like get any kind of implant to, to, to replace it as well also out of titanium I mean we're also seeing a lot more materials coming out now that are medical grade um, yeah. on the FTM side which I think is indicates that it's obviously a growing field otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it uh, but yeah. that it's growing quite quickly and that it's I think it's growing substantial at the same time so uh, I think from a business point of view, it's beautiful because there are barriers to entry, right? Yeah. You are doing something meaningful. Uh, there is an upfront significant investment in, in trying to get your stuff approved, your materials, your process, whatever, depending on what you're doing. Uh, it's very difficult to do so. I've been involved in a couple of things trying to do this, and then it's very unclear oftentimes what regulatory path you have to take or what the investments are, how long it'll take. It's a big risk upfront, I think. Uh, also, what we're seeing is that there's a lot of companies that are very fearful of this risk. Um, there's a lot of firms that are shying away from polymer implants in the body, uh, printed implants in the body. We've already seen it traditionally in like the big orthopedics players. They innovate at the wrong pace, if you will, and they prefer to buy companies that are very, very quickly innovating uh, in order to add to their portfolio all the time. And I think there's a huge opportunity to do this in 3D printing, where we're seeing that the big medical device firms 
like uh, I think Stryker's doing quite a lot. Uh, Lima Corp is doing quite a lot, and, and some of them are actually really investing in technology. Other thing, people just consider this to be, you know, kind of like a eh, whatever, just a manufacturing technology, not really significant. But a lot of these guys aren't really fundamentally interested in 3D printing, or they're scared of it. You know, what happens if we put a polymer implant in the body for a number of years? Right? Do we have any, any idea? Yeah. Uh, not really. Yeah, not really. Yeah. <laughs> not really. We don't know. Well, we hope it doesn't like you know interfere with anything or crush anything or, or or leach up throughout the body or something like that. You know. So I think there is a huge opportunity to be like a startup in this space as well to to innovate on behalf of these big firms, and then you will have to get a big chunk of cash at one point to to raise for the regulatory stuff, and subsequently the, the exit path is is very very clear to to sell to these large medical device or other uh, medical kind of drug kind of companies. And we, we are seeing them not innovate enough, I think, in this space. If we look, look at all the materials that are really exciting, all the applications, there's a lot going on in the lab. I read tons of papers every week on a, a really cool stuff with like temporary implants, drug-loaded implants, that kind of stuff. Uh, stuff like, uh, you know, Codings, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. To help encourage yeah. bone growth. Yeah. No, no, it's, yeah. I've seen some of it. I know yeah, you guys me, cover a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the thing is that the, the, every, I'm on, what I'm not seeing is a lot of commercialization in that space. Time. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, FDA approval is a 10 to 15 year process for implantable yeah, yeah. Your devices. So it is, it's a lot of effort, not to mention it's several yeah. million dollars to get to those uh -huh. trials and phases. Yeah. So I, I think we're not seeing it implemented yet because of that. And mm -hmm. I mean, classically, big companies have to buy smaller companies to innovate because that's how mm -hmm. a big company innovates because you become so big. You're no longer capable of, of innovating as like a large company on the same scale that you are in a small company, and so you purchase small companies to do your innovation for you. But I, yeah, I think it's curious though that you're not hearing about more, you know, some you know some medical device company buying some small college startup or some MIT company or something of that nature that is doing crazy stuff in the medical field involving 3D printing. Yeah, yeah. But even if, if we're looking at like so, even if we're looking at like the the, the so there's a lot of like device and class approvals, uh, FDA approvals for kind of titanium-based implants, or a lot like I don't know, a dozen or more or something, right? But and there's like I can think of like the Comovis is like a, a medical 3D printer. They're selling and stuff. These bioprinting guys, but there's maybe like a dozen startups in that space, right? Um. And I'm just wondering why there isn't any more. Why everybody is like now we were getting like there's there's 15 different shapeways, right? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there's there's like a couple of dozen different thingiverse, and there's still hundreds of 3D printing manufacturers. And I'm like, guys, why does nobody say like we are 3D cartilage and we're gonna make cartilage happen? You know? Yeah, or 3D um, print new kneecaps. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I mean, 70% of uh, people in OECD countries above the age of 70 are going to have problems with cartilage, right? right. And it's only going to get worse because people are going to live longer, uh, people are more overweight, larger, more obesity, there's more diabetes and stuff, and it's a gigantic business opportunity. But there's not one, or at least not one that I know of, a startup, in the, there's a couple of universities in Utrecht, and a couple of universities are doing some really exciting work on this, but there's nobody saying, ta-da, we're going to 3D print cartilage. And, and I wonder if that goes back to bioprinting, right? And which is a whole yeah. other topic that we'll yeah, 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 of course. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay, so bad example. There's a, there's also <laughs> very few. I mean, no, but there, there's there's you know there's a couple of you know uh, 3D printed arm type of startup things as well. But there's just there's a lot less activity in the space than I would uh, imagine, really. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm here. I'm with you in that. It's it seems a lot less fulfilled right now, and I wonder if it's just once again if there are not enough people that are competent enough with 3D printing at this point, or that they're all off trying to like build a different mousetrap, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, that and that, that, yeah, it just hasn't percolated yet into the medical industry of the possibilities. Well, where you need an engineer, you need a medical person, right? and then you know you need a very diff different kind of uh, thing. And you need VC funding because for something medical, yeah, exactly. you have exactly. to have funding. Um, yeah. It's not. It's not something that you can start out slow. You know? <laughs> uh, so Scott Summit, right? Who's like a super pioneer in this thing. He made these fairings, 
in these scoliosis braces. Uh, and and he got started only because a super crazy startup uh, story, but uh, I'll leave him to tell it at one point. But he only he met a doctor who had previously sold a, a car, and Scott was an engineer or a designer who had worked a lot of, uh, on, on developing these things. And so the combination of them was their startup, right, which they later sold to Three Systems. Um, and so he's, he's the guy that first conceived this idea of coming up with a beautiful leg brace or a beautiful fairing or a beautiful prosthetic, you know, the idea of making it aesthetically pleasing as well as functional using 3D right. printing. You do these different qualities. And for him, it was just, yeah, he had a doctor who had connections with the VC guys who had the medical stuff covered and was able to secure the money. And he, he brought the ideas and the designs of these devices, right? Uh, and that to me is, is, yeah, it's very exciting, I think. But it's, so that's, 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 it's right place, right time, right group of people uh, yeah. kind of scenario, which is what most startups are anyways. But, and then to take it to the successful conclusion is, is the added uh, difficulty. <laughs> uh, of course. Well, so maybe that's just really logical that in medicine you need the doctor and the doctor is too busy doing doctory stuff to, to get them involved. You know what I mean? They're too busy doing paperwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, okay. Oh, that's good. But um, um, so generally, I think I think, I mean, if we're looking at what's happening, I think it's a very exciting time. I think. No, but I think it's very less... early days, and and that means that there's a lot more that is going to come down the road as time goes forward, which is what makes it even more exciting. I would agree. I would agree. All right, everyone. Uh, so this is uh, Maxwell Vogue. Woo. <laughs> Myself. Uh, uh, Yours peels, and uh, this is the three pod we, we discussed today: uh, 3D printing and medicine. And uh, uh, we hope that a future date to uh, go more deep in, uh, deeply into bioprinting. Uh, we hope you guys really uh, enjoyed this, and enjoyed listening to us. And yeah, please do email us or give us feedback on, on how we can improve. And also, if you would like us to talk about a certain subject. Uh, and thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yeah, Bye-bye. thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Bye bye. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.